0: Jesus has been in the chief Pharisee's house, giving uh, various uh, teachings and instructions, but now he's uh, going on with his disciples, going along uh, the way, large crowd, and he's teaching them about what it really means to be a disciple. So when somebody reads, this is Luke 14, verses is 25 to 35.
1: Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with ten thousand men to encounter the one coming against him with twenty thousand, or else while the other is still far away, He sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. (coughs) So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay.
0: So, know don't they say about the Marines that they're looking for a few good men you know Jesus was not interested in gathering up a bunch of spectators he wanted recruits and he's very upfront and clear about the requirements you know he, he focuses on what is really going to take on their part to be a disciple and you know he's got several things he says in verse 26 He's going to have to put Jesus ahead of his family and himself. Now, he uses very strong language when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his family and himself. Hating here, not in the sense of seeking to work malice or abhorring, in the sense of loving less. That's the way it's used in Deuteronomy 21, 15. But it does mean that you are renouncing Everything else in comparison with the Lord. You know, he has to be front and center. He's top priority. Everything else is nothing by comparison to him. Even ourselves. That's a really challenging thing. And then he says to carry his own cross and come after him. You would carry your cross to the place of crucifixion. And so it's like saying you have to die to yourself. You have to be willing to give over your life to the Lord... You know, I've been crucified with Christ in Galatians two twenty, and Christ lives in me. I don't live in me any longer. If I'm a disciple of Christ, He has to take over my life. Thirty three, He says, "No one can be a, none can be my disciple but who does not give up all his own possessions." You know, our attachment to things we have can be a real barrier to being a disciple? So we have to relinquish all of our possessions. Give Christ then control over our relationships, ourselves, and everything we own. Jesus comes first. And it really makes you think when you look at this, am I really a disciple? You know, wow. I mean, this is challenging to consider everything as the Lord's, to give ownership and control of everything in our life over to God. Um... You know, is this the way to attract the largest number of followers, do you think? Wouldn't it be better if you kind of watered down the requirements, made it sound like it would be easy, and then when you get people kind of reeled in, then you start ramping up what, what he asks. Jesus was not like that. Jesus never hides the requirements in the fine print. In fact, he says... You really shouldn't even try this until you've really assessed whether or not it's what you want to do. Don't enter into this lightly. I mean, think about a guy who starts building a big tower and then halfway through realizes he can't finish, he doesn't have enough money. You see that every once in a while, right? Some kind of unfinished building and you wonder what happened. That was kind of pointless. You know, why invest all that in it and not get uh, finished? But sometimes we don't calculate... What's going to be required? Or worse yet, here's this king who challenges another king to battle. He declares war. And notice, um, he, while the other is still far away, didn't take him long, they're still a long ways away. And he realized, oh no, I'm hopelessly outnumbered. I miscalculated the enemy's strength. And you have to call for a peace treaty (laughs) before you even engage in the battle. You know, that's very foolish. And, and so he's saying, don't do that with my, being of my disciple. You really need to analyze what it's going to take and whether or not you're willing to give it. Jesus never deceived his followers. You know, he never made them think that this is easier than what it is. He challenges people who wanted to follow to think about this is what it takes. Do you really want to do it? That, that's, that's a sobering thing even for us. Thoughts and comments about this through verse 33.
1: Well, it, just, it makes
2: sense that the section before this, it was a parable about how people were putting excuses over coming, putting other things importance over attending this, and now the real application is you have to put God above your family, above your possessions, above your time, above everything. So it's kind of like the parable and the application of, okay, here's what really you need to
1: put Him above. And so...
0: Yes, good point. Yeah, it's very challenging. (laughs) It is asking a lot. Other thoughts? When you look at 34 and 35, and he says, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? I think, in this context, he's talking about disciples... Without dedication. Disciples that don't have this uh, commitment and this prioritizing of the Lord's call in their life. They're like salt with no taste. Can you imagine salt with no taste? What would you use it for? I can't think of a lot of things salt does if salt loses its saltiness. You know, why would you want it? Uh, a disciple that doesn't have the distinctive qualities of discipleship that Jesus has been talking about, what good is he? You know, he's just a useless pile of waste. Throw him away. So he's saying that these uh, requirements that he's talking about in discipleship are the a distinctive nature of a disciple. You take a disciple without commitment; they're worthless. They're nothing. Just throw it away. And Then he says, "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." God put ears on sinners to listen to him and to pay, you know, give <coughs> heed to his instructions. Thoughts and comments on any of this, then in chapter fourteen. Like how at the end there, he does say, "He who has ears to hear, don't hear." I think that kind of brings it back to: yes, the requirements are tough, but it is open for everybody. It and is that everybody needs to hear it. Um, and then I think on the other side, I think that sometimes those in the world kind of take that to the extreme, like it's it's for everybody. So we're going to do anything we can to get everybody in. But then you have to remember the requirements are tough, though, and so it's it's not. It's not something to where we're just trying to do anything possible to get everybody in. We want to make sure that the people who who, who are there um, are the way you're providing them with, with the resources that they need in order to, to be there. Yeah, good, interesting thought. You know, so how much money do you have to have to be a disciple? You know, how much talent and ability? How... You know, charismatic, how intelligent, how athletic, how beautiful. None of those things. But you have to give whatever it is that you have to the Lord and, and, and let Him take that and use it as He sees fit. So it doesn't take somebody that has a lot of assets. You don't have to have any. But whatever assets you've got, you've got to dedicate to God. So it's, it's for anybody, everybody. There's nobody who doesn't have the ability to be a disciple. But even if you've got lots of abilities, you may not be a disciple because you're hoarding them for yourself instead of relinquishing control of them to the Lord. Other thoughts are coming.
2: So why, it appears, I mean, in verse 33 he tells them, well, he says, no one... You can be my disciple, but he does not give up all his own possessions. That seems pretty direct and straightforward. Yet, we don't see that in in application throughout the uh, rest of the New Testament. Not direct.
0: It depends, I think, on what you mean by giving up all your possessions. I don't think he's saying that you necessarily have to sell out and give everything like to the treasury of the church or something like that, necessarily. But that you have to give everything you've got to the Lord, it's his, and you use it for him instead of using it for yourself. So you do with it what the Lord wants you to do. I think that's the idea, because you're right. Even in Luke-Acts, you think about, you know, situations where people still had private property. It's not like they had, you know, completely divested themselves of any ownership of anything. But the things they owned, they considered to be gods if they were disciples, and they used them for him.
2: So with these people, have understood that. <laughs> I mean, it's kind if- of a drastic thing, but he does that in other places where he says something that could be taken by those that don't understand it in another way.
0: I mean, Jesus often, I think, says things to try to almost shock us or wake us up or make us really stop and think. Um, Jesus was not understated in a lot of this. It's almost like he says it in the boldest possible way to really get our attention. I mean, the idea of taking up your carrying a cross, understanding that it meant to your crucifixion, I mean, you could assume he meant everybody needs to commit suicide. Well, he did, but not physically. He meant give your life to God. Kill yourself, die to self, and live to the Lord. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't exactly what the surface meaning might have indicated, but it sure does get your attention. I mean, it would be like saying, you know, uh, whoever does not go to the electric chair and come after me. <laughs> well, I mean, there's only one thing they do in electric chairs, you know, it's not for massages, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's plenty of other times when he
2: does similar things. Yes, he does. Uh, You know, it's just saying, like, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll rebuild it. There were those that were looking at the building, and he's like, okay, you know, you're thinking building, you're not even on my wavelength. It's like he says those things, almost to mislead those that aren't of the right mind.
0: And perhaps to intrigue Mm -hmm. and call for further study on those who are interested and eager. I and mean, he talks to Nicodemus about being born all over again. He talks to the woman at the well about this water <coughs> that you'll never, ever thirst again. And so what? Well, tons of examples like that. But yeah, good points. It's
1: like he's using it to weed people out, sort of. Yes. Which goes back to the, if you've got ears, hear it. But,
0: the, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You know, the one who has more is given. The one who doesn't have even what he has is taken away. So the people who really care and, and willing to do to, to dig, they're going to get blessed by this. They're going to understand more. The people who aren't, they just further further you know away and bewildered and turned off by what Jesus says. So I think he is weeding out, but he's also really challenging us
1: to be a <coughs> disciple.
0: All right, look at chapter 15, chapter 15.